Welcome back to 9 to 5 Photographer, the podcast to help professional photographers and filmmakers get more shoots, make more money and spend more time doing the things they love. And in this episode, we have Sanjay Jogia. Now, if you don't know Sanjay, then I'll be amazed. He's such a talented photographer. He shoots weddings all around the world with his wife, Roshni, and he's also a Canon ambassador, which means Canon consults with him over how he shoots and they create their products based partly on the feedback that he gives. But he talks about that in this episode. Now, I've known Sanjay for a few years. We've shot together in London, in India, and even one time in Turks and Caicos in the Bahamas. Now, when he shoots, he always has Roshni with him. And these two, as a team, they are just dynamite. They really are. Shooting with them is a real experience. And I mean, I'd always recommend shooting with someone else anyway, because you just learn so much from each other. And I know I certainly did with Sanjay. But one of the things I really love about him is how he thinks deeply while he speaks, which means everything he says is meaningful and with intent. We're going to find out what he was doing before they created their photography brand. We'll be talking about the Canon Ambassador Programme, and we also find out firsthand what it's like working as a husband and wife team. So let's not waste any more time, but connect with the man himself, and let's get into that right now. Sanjay, uh, thank you for being here today. It's great to have you on the show, mate. Thanks for having me, Simon. It's good to hear your voice. <laughs> it's good to hear yours too. In fact, we're recording this in the middle of a uh, third lockdown in the UK during our delightful world pandemic. It's always good just to connect with people, isn't it? Any kind of human contact, absolutely. Mm. I think that's just become the, 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 way of, the way of the world for the last 12 months, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, the desire to connect with people, to, to talk to people online, to have actually meaningful conversations online, as opposed to it being... Uh, you know awkward and stopgap you know that there are at least ways of having decent conversations now yeah absolutely absolutely and there are opportunities in this situation you know i I think every every challenge presents opportunities as well so uh yeah as i say it's the way of the world and we'll speak about that a bit later on i think sanjay i'd love to give our listeners just a bit of context one of these questions i always ask people at the start of an episode so can you just tell us a little bit about yourself you know where you live in the world and what your home situation is sure so i'm in harrow on the hill in northwest london i have so my home my home and my showroom is uh, uh, in harrow um, about 20 minutes walk away from each other which is quite nice so we have a little bit of separation which is cool um i have uh my lovely wife and uh my secret weapon which is roshni who is also my business partner and yeah we we started our our photography business together whilst we were doing other things so i i i trained and qualified as an architect and she trained and qualified uh, in in finance, actually, as a as a tax consultant, and yeah, while, whilst we were both working in our various fields, um, you know, I kind of rediscovered my love of photography. I say rediscovered; it was always there, but my love of photographing people and weddings and events. Um, I well, I discovered that for the first time, and um, I, and yeah, we just we set the business up, and it just sort of took over really, and within. I think a year, year and a half of setting it up, we we quit our jobs and um, this has become our life. So with a lot of people, they have their photography career as a second career. And clearly it's the same for you, having come from the world of architecture. Um, At what point did you think to yourself, hold on, you know, this is this is not the direction that I should be going in. Photography is the is the direction. Let's do it now. That's an interesting question. And and I reflect on this a lot, not out of regret 
but it, it's actually I reflect on this with a lot of pride. So a bit of background is I've I've always loved photography. I've mm-hmm. always loved architecture and I've always loved cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these these are my my big passions. Always have been. Photography is something I did when I was a, a kid and grew up with that because my father worked for Kodak. There's a, there used to be a Kodak factory in Harrow where okay. he worked for 35 years. Wow. Okay. And yeah, and and I I worked there as a student in my holidays at university sort of making making film. So I kind of grew up with the culture of photography, grew up with the culture of Kodak and uh, all things photography. Uh, I, I, I was self-taught from, you know, from a very young age. Um, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a complete geek so, <laughs> and, and have been since I was a child as well. So what it means is I understood how the camera worked inside and out mechanically. And I think that, that mechanical, that want for understanding how a, me- a piece of machinery works comes from my love of cars. So all these things sort of link into each other in a weird sort of way throughout my life. But what I wanted to do when I was a kid professionally was be an architect. So mm-hmm. I did everything I needed to do. I chose my GCSEs accordingly so I could choose my A-levels accordingly so I can go to university to study architecture and, and kind of went through that process. And what I didn't realize until much later is that my architectural training unwittingly prepared me for my photography in many, many ways which I'll come back to. But I think the real the realisation was after I was asked to photograph a wedding of a friend of a friend for a fee. So, you know, my friends have known for a long time, you know, since I was... I'm very lucky I've got a big circle of friends uh, from when I was very, very young, from when I was five years old. And I, I tend to I tend to keep my friends over the years. So everyone knows about my love of photography. They, they've all seen my various pictures from over the years. One friend recommended uh, me to one of their other friends. So they contacted me and said, I've been told about your photography. I'd love to see some, some of your images, you know. And um, if, it's, if it's our style, we'd love you to, to photograph our wedding. So I sent them with just a cross-section of stuff. Okay. From social photography to, you know, my architectural photography my, to my car photography and, you know, whatever, whatever I had. And they said, we love it. We'd love you to photograph a wedding. I thought, okay, great. And uh, we agreed on a fee. So I went and bought myself various bits and pieces to, to cope with the demands of a wedding. Mm. And it was scary as hell. It really was. But, <laughs> you know, more than that, I, I, I knew that I had to capture certain things. But more than that, I was just out to have some fun. And we both loved it. You know, Rosh and I, we, you know, Roshni grew up with photography as well because her her dad used to travel a lot and take pictures. She kind of rubbed off onto her. Mm. And um, we fell in love with it and thought, actually, we could do this. Uh, we built a website and it generated demand. It just snowballed from there very quickly, far quicker than we'd ever thought it would or, ho- or hoped it would. You know, We wondered if in our first year we would have more than, you know, if, if, if we would even have five weddings in our first year. And this is still working full time in our other professions. Mm. And I think in our first year we had seven or eight something like that okay we just we just love the social element of it we just love working with people photographing people and the, the energy the buzz the, the challenge of a wedding day so all of this is really positive uh, and you mentioned that that first wedding was fun i think that was a word you used but tell me yeah. about some of the fear that you also felt shooting those early weddings oh god yeah it's i mean it's what everyone feels you know what you know what if i miss the shot what if my camera doesn't work or freaks out on me or what if I miss focus or mm. 
you mm. know, what if they don't like the pictures or, you know, what if <laughs> it's not what they hoped it would be? Um, mm-hmm. What if I lose the images or anything like that? You know, because actually we, being a geek, I'd really set myself up to deal with a lot of this stuff beforehand. So it was a, it was a big risk. It was a bit of an investment up front. I didn't want to get it wrong. For that wedding, I did the minimum I needed to do to make sure that I was secure and the images were secure. And then that built up very quickly when we made the decision to actually get into this professionally. But listen, I I still go to a, a wedding pooping my pants. I was just about to ask um, you that. How you feel now going to a wedding? Does you know? Yeah, does any yeah, of that no, go, or do you still have an element well, of well, that? You, you know, you you shot with me. You, you've seen my nerves. You know, you know, you know how I am. I I I feed off that nervous energy. I need it. If I go into a day not feeling nervous or anxious then something's wrong because I, I think that that nervous energy is a thing that keeps me true. You know, it, it keeps me wanting to, to push myself and it keeps me on my toes. I, mm. I don't want to be comfortable during the day. I, I want to be outside of my comfort zone because I, I think that's the thing that really triggers creative thought. One of the things Tony Robbins says just on that is um, talking to Bruce Springsteen and he yeah. compares Bruce Springsteen to to another singer i forget who the other singer is but the other singer used to get kind of mild panic attacks before she went out on stage and she'd say that she gets she gets sweaty and she gets shaky and and then she finds that she can't go out on stage because she's starting to have a mini panic attack and then when he spoke to bruce springsteen he said that before he goes on stage he gets sweaty he gets the shakes he gets mild panic attacks but he said that's when he knows that he's ready to go out no that's right it's like james hunt the f1 driver he used to throw up before every race and, and until he puked, he, he wasn't ready to get in the car and, and you know, rise to the challenge. Hmm. I don't go that far. I just I just have I have butterflies and I, I get the kind of um, that nervous energy. But, um, you know, I, yeah, I need that. That's fuel. OK, so you mentioned about being a bit of a bit of a geek. What do you tend to shoot with yeah. at the moment? At the moment, well, at the moment we're in a pandemic and there's, there's, no, <laughs> there's nothing to shoot right now. But I'm in a transition at the moment, actually. When I began, it was with the the first Canon 5D. It was a 5D Mark One. Very quickly went to a bunch of 5D Mark Twos, and then very quickly went to the One series, the Canon One series. So over the years, I've had One DS Mark Three, One D Mark Four, One DX, One DX Mark Two, um, and then the One DX Mark Three came out, but very shortly after the the, the R5 has come out, and the One DX Mark Three came out, and then we had the pandemic. So I've shot with the One DX Mark Three, which I absolutely love. It's <laughs> amazing. But I was I was also involved in the launch program for the R5, so I, I got to kind of test and play play with that before anyone knew about it. So I'm in a transition actually between the One DX Mark Two and the R5. So you mentioned that you're that you're involved in the R5 launch. Is this in your capacity as a Canon ambassador? Absolutely. You know what? It's the the, the ambassadorship is it's it's very nebulous. People always ask me, oh, how, "How do you become an ambassador? How how can I become an ambassador? What's the process?" Mm-hmm. And my first answer is, "I don't know." <laughs> you know, it's it's really odd. Um, you, you are someone at Canon. The fact is that they're always watching. They watch everything. It's a bit scary in a way <laughs> because when I when I got the call from canon they they said uh we've been watching you and we've been watching you for five or six years okay and uh we'd we'd love for you to apply to be an ambassador you can't just go and fill in an application form you have to be invited to apply that's how, okay that's right. how their process works right but it's it's one of the fun sides of being uh, i mean it's all fun actually it's mm-hmm. what but it's probably the most fun side of being an ambassador is getting to do all the geeky stuff the r&d testing new equipment and you know being part of that 
the R&D process. Mm. Um, I absolutely love that side of things because, you know, really what it means to me is that I feel like I'm really giving back to the industry, you know, in a physical way. So do you get to steer the way that the products are going when they're in the in the R&D stage? To a very small degree, and it's usually quite late in the day, unfortunately, but it's just because, you know, the... Let me give, me, give you some context. With the Canon um, RF system, people don't realise this, but actually... Canon's development of their mirrorless system started very shortly after Sony had first uh, launched their mirrorless system. Okay, right. People don't know that. So people say, oh, Canon were really late to the game. But actually what they were doing is they were biding their time. They were developing while everyone else jumped on it. They made all their mistakes because the first lot of mirrorless cameras that came out, they were, they were not that great. You know, they, they had lots of issues. They had reliability issues they had resolution issues they had speed issues focusing issues whatever it was there were lots of issues and you got to remember these things were all inspired by the video capabilities of the 5d mark ii you know what it could do with the mirror flipped up and then that became a thing so canon spent a lot of time developing a lot of technology quietly in the background and what they did was that they developed the lenses first so all the cameras that come out are really designed around that lens mount and the lenses because the life cycle of a lens is far longer than of a body. You know, we, we all know that we've, we've all had to go through the pain of updating our cameras more often than we really update our lenses. You know, and we see that brands, you know, these manufacturers, they don't update their lenses that regularly because it's a big process. And usually they, they nail it the first time around. And when an update comes up, it's because, you know, technology, manufacturing technology, whatever it is, has, has improved by that, that much over that time. Hmm. So... You know, my, my input into any of this technology that comes up is usually upon request, which basically means, you know, they'll contact me and they'll say, you know, or, or they'll just want to come and visit and ask me about how I work and understand okay. how I use cameras and how I process. I, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, the, the engineers from, from Japan, uh, from Canon Inc., which is kind of the head of the beast, if you like, they came to London. And typically what happens is that those meetings with, the, with, with Canon Inc. happen at Canon uh, Europe headquarters uh, but they actually asked to come to my showroom to see what I do to meet me to understand how I work with you know the Canon equipment I use hmm. to understand my um, processes when it comes to post-production printing and you know the output's a big thing so um, I'm one of the few ambassadors that do printing as well as the photography itself and and they really pick my brains about certain things and and all of those questions and you know my my wish list because they did ask me you know what's what's your wish list what's on your perfect camera you know i i got to say okay my ideal camera this is what i want xyz mm. and you can be as crazy as you crazy as you want because <laughs> if it if it resonates with them they'll find a way anyone who knows the 1dx mark 3 for example mm -hmm. um the af button on the back has like a little digital multi-controller built into it so whilst you're pressing the af button you can stroke it in any direction and it works like a trackpad mm -hmm. and it moves the focus point around so you don't have to take your thumb off the af button to move the focus point around i see okay and that's really useful when you're when you're um, servo focusing so you might ask if you're in servo focus why does that make a difference I set my cameras up, and this is getting really geeky. I won't spend too long talking about this, but <laughs> I set my cameras up so that if you, you know, when, you, when you're gripping the camera, mm -hmm. you have your first finger and your index finger kind of just sitting there doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And on the one series, you have um, some multifunction buttons. And I set one of them up so that when you hold it down, it switches to AI servo. Or when you let go, it goes back to one shot. Okay. So if you press that down and you're using, I don't know, say your index finger to do that, 
mm-hmm. that's temporarily putting you in in AI focus, AI server. Sorry. Then you've got your your first finger on the on the trigger, and then you've got your thumb on the AF button. So then, if you wanted to move your focus point, you'd have to take your thumb off mm-hmm. the AF button and move it to the multi controller to move that around. But if you then needed to actually engage the focus and take the shot at that point because something happened in front of you you'd have to move your thumb and you'd probably miss it or you'd have to just live with where the focus point was and deal with the composition that you get because the focus point's in the wrong place yeah. does that make sense yeah it does yeah so yeah so here you can actually just stroke the af button while it's pressed to move it to where you want to whilst it's tracking and focusing it's amazing and you know i said if you could integrate that in the AI focus in, in the focus button, that'd be amazing. And they did it. So you know, it's little things like that that they really listen to what you know what the demands are for for the photographers. Um, and I think traditionally, ca- camera manufacturers never really listened to to what photographers wanted. It was the engineers who were coming up with ideas and designing it. Uh, and that was very frustrating for for all photographers. You know, not you know in, across all the brands. So how are you finding this transition then from the One DX yeah. across to the R five? Given that if you went from the 1DX, well, all of the 1DXs really, and now you're on a different shaped body and the, the buttons are in different places, and okay, you've had a bit of a steer on, on which buttons do what. Fundamentally, they are very different cameras still if you've gone from that family of 1DX to the R5. Yes and no. I mean, the 1DX Mark III is a stepping stone. It's a transition in the way it works because you can use it in a, mirror, in a mirrorless mode with the mirror flipped up and you can use the screen you know uh, and touch focus on the on the back screen and that sort of thing Mm. it's bigger it's heavier Mm -hmm. um it is more robust of course because it's a professional camera it's a one series i think the r5 only really lacks in terms of usability Mm -hmm. and customization that the two front buttons uh, that i was talking about it has one it has what's traditionally the depth of field button which you can reprogram so that that's handy I actually really like the fact that it's it's smaller and it's lighter. Ergonomically, you know, I can put a grip on there and it feels like a 1D again, mm-hmm. uh, albeit still smaller and lighter. Mm-hmm. So the transition's actually it's actually quite easy, to be honest. Sanjay, given that your business is predominantly wedding photography, yeah. how, did you, how did you keep things going in 2020? It was scary, um, as it was for absolutely everybody. We, we spent a lot of time, obviously, just having to comfort our own clients as the first thing just to let them know that whatever happens we'll still be here in a sense it's the beauty of of photographers you don't if you you know if you hang up your cameras you don't really forget how to be a photographer i don't ever think it's going to come to that not for us because what you know just we're demonstrating resilience in in various different ways but obviously weddings were postponed all of our clients you know they'd gone through that big process of the of curating their suppliers and you know sort of big investments in the wedding and that sort of thing so no one really wanted to give up all of that hard work and and lose money we had to come to an agreement initially so in initially the survival mode was you look after me i'll look after you i promise to be there whenever the wedding can happen we'll coordinate availability as soon as possible and let's find a mutual date where all of your suppliers can be available and so on and so on you can get the venue again and we'll be there uh, you know, we won't. There won't be any kind of penalty. We'll just honour our agreement just at a later date. But you know, in in return, what we need from you guys is to continue paying the fee as though the wedding was going to happen this year. Otherwise, we're going to really struggle financially. You know, and we you have to keep the cash flow coming in. So you know, we have just amazing clients, and they they agreed to that. They understood it. They had a lot of sympathy, and they realised that actually, you know, we had as much reason, in fact, more reason to be 
scared than they did because this is our livelihood whereas the clients have jobs even if they're furloughed they're getting paid whereas you know small businesses like ours we were really, we fell through cracks you know every photographer virtually almost every photographer fell through a crack in in the in the government support so they understood that people are still making inquiries believe it or not um throughout 2020 just there was a lot of uncertainty about when they could actually do their weddings what it meant was we got a lot of inquiries for later dates you know sort of 20 late 21 22 weddings some 23 inquiries um just on the assumption that the world would open up again later on you know that those deposits for those they came in very handy but also rush and i obviously over the years we've been having to save money so we've been living off savings like a lot of people have um, on and off my architectural background also means and rosh's finance background means that we made a point of investing in the past in property and stuff like that so this uh, something there which is obviously a nest egg but two things which were real lifeline for me as well actually initially was was canon the ambassadorship because they kept me very very busy uh lots was going on during that time one was they wanted to create lots of content for um photographers not just professional photographers but anyone with a camera on youtube and their various blogs and podcasts and things like that so you know i i didn't have a lockdown that everyone else did you know i didn't have that time to watch netflix and tv and stuff <laughs> that only came around christmas mm. um i was incredibly busy with that so canon you know really kind of in a way helped to replace that income stream during that period which was amazing during the summer uh when we were sort of released some weddings happened then so we did some micro weddings a lot of clients kind of adapted their plans which was okay. great mm-hmm. uh we had some new inquiries for some micro weddings during that time and i think that's going to happen for the next kind of probably two or three years there's going to be lots of small last minute wedding requests you know I, I, I strongly believe that and i think that's okay it, that really helps with cash flow and planning and uh, just being able to go out there and shoot and and also with keeping the create the creative juices flowing which is amazing but one of the other things that that came up as a result of this was streaming so you know we've all found ourselves doing lots of meetings on zoom and you know whatever other platform you're using teams i I had this crazy idea about 10 or 11 years ago to to stream weddings anyway the problem was then uh it was relatively unfeasible only because the platforms didn't you know they weren't that accessible they weren't that reliable Hmm. internet connections weren't that accessible or reliable uh the streaming technology was big and clunky Hmm. uh it just it wasn't feasible it would have it would have just been too expensive um but now with everything becoming smaller lighter more compact more wireless the technology is there so i'm working with various brands to get myself equipped uh technologically to get this done the concept is there so just to clarify on that this is streaming weddings while they're happening for other people who who aren't there yeah not just weddings um other events you know any kind of event I, i see the world certainly for the next two or three years, becoming a hybrid world, you know, and this is something I speak to Canon a lot about because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things like the conventions, the photography conventions and all those sort of big events like mm-hmm. shows and... Um, like SWPP uh, and WPPI yeah, exactly, and things like WPPI, that. Yeah, okay. all, all that sort of stuff has had to be cancelled and rearranged and cancelled and rearranged. And what will happen is when the world opens up again, there are going to be a lot of people that say, I'm just not going to go. I'm not taking that risk. They want to be there, but they just can't be there because of the fear of getting infected and what it could do to you. And of course, we've seen that everyone reacts differently to corona. Some people end up in ICU on a ventilator. Mm. Some people... It's just a mild cold, a mild flu. And then for other people, it's, you know, the bulk of people, it's somewhere in between. And we don't even know what that means when it's nothing at all. We don't know if there's an effect later on because 
if you're COVID positive and you have no symptoms, mm-hmm. that means you have no immune response at that point. That's the understanding. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so does that mean it's going to erupt later? So there's still lots of unknowns to this thing. Now, what will happen is, you know, we still have to deliver events and shows and that sort of thing. It's, you know, it's, it's an important part of business. So, you know, I think events are going to become hybrid. It's going to become a mixture of people turning up, live events, and that being streamed. But the opportunity there is you can reach a much broader audience, you know, outside of the locale. You know, something like the photography show at NEC can actually now reach the rest of the world. It doesn't just have to be the UK or people don't have to necessarily just fly in for uh, for that from, from abroad. Lots of opportunities. And, yeah, same thing with weddings. You know, there are going to be lots of people that just can't go because of you know, their vulnerability or won't go because they choose not to, which is fair enough. So I don't think big weddings, you know, very large. When I say big weddings, the kind of weddings that I'm used to f- photographing, which could be three, four, five, eight hundred people, thousand people. Um, I don't think that's going to happen for some time yet. Actually, where, you know, I'm on the I'm, I'm on the UK government task force for weddings. It's made up of six working groups. I'm on two of the working groups and one of them is for large weddings. Another one is for representation which kind of deals with codes of conduct and things like that sanjay tell us more about that there's there's only so much i can say at this stage but there was actually a meeting with number 10 on on tuesday don't say anything you shouldn't be saying by the way <laughs> no no sure I'll, I'll say what i can say um the, the idea was to present them with the expertise of the task force so the task force is made up of various wedding professionals you know mm-hmm. it's across the board everyone that you come across all the supplies that you come across at at weddings um are, are a part of this um it could be venue owners it could be photographers videographers florists caterers mm-hmm. um wedding planners toastmasters it's so broad and we all bring our expertise to try and make the government understand how our industry works and what its value is okay so we've we've had to make it very clear because i don't think they really understood what we were worth you know when, when they came out with the the figure of 30 people and then 15 it was just unbelievable and that's the number of guests that we could have at a wedding during that summer period does the industry can't sustain itself like that so we had to make them understand that on a normal year our industry is worth about 15 billion pounds you can't sneeze at that no and what is that worth in terms of government revenue and also to make them understand that large weddings not just Indian weddings, but large cultural weddings, or just large weddings in general, is is a third of that. Because wow. large weddings don't just... Yeah, it doesn't just mean numbers of guests. It means multiple events. Yeah. So, for example, yeah. the weddings I, I photograph are multiple events, as well as big numbers. So our industry needs support. And, and obviously, the deferred weddings means that that revenue rolls over to the following year. So now, if you if you add 15 to 18 months of deferment let's say it's 18 months then that's 21 nearly 25 billion pounds when things open up again which is insane so i mean really is to educate them that we can make this happen um we would be at the forefront of large large events you know things like conferences and and exhibitions and that sort of thing because Mm. if we can get the slightly haphazard nature of weddings under control and and covid compliant Mm -hmm. we provide a basis for other things as well so it's a very intensive complicated process at the moment and it's a little like punching smoke <laughs> and wading through mud at the same time it's good fun <laughs> you know i like a challenge but uh, <laughs> you know i'm not the only one the, the, the task force is made up of of hundreds of people so mm. uh you know we're all doing what we can to get our industries um open and, and up and running again so um you know i i, I see a positive future uh, it's going to be interesting as a part of the meeting the other day was to ensure 
at weddings is part of the the roadmap to open up sooner rather than later. Mm. But it's, it's not just about opening up; it's also financial support too, because uh, you know we do make up a big part of the economy, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been neglected. It's as simple as that. Mm. You know, we've mm. been neglected in a in a, ver- in a very big way. Sanjay, tell us about Roshni. How do you balance the work that needs to be done? How do you balance that between the pair of you? Well, in a normal world, we we try and operate in a nine to five, which is really difficult in our industry because you know our industry is incredibly unsocial, antisocial for us. That is because we work in other people's social time, and I think people forget that. So it means that when we're out shooting, it's usually weekends and evenings but we still have a business to run we still have to do marketing we still have to do the accounts we still have to do editing and processing and and other roles we still have to live our lives and be human beings uh so we we try to as much as possible come into the office let's not say nine to five i think that's a little bit optimistic (laughs) more like 10 to six Hmm. (laughs) um you know obviously that's got to be flexible because of uh you know when we may or may not be shooting and uh we we created a separation between home and 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 work life we used to run a business from home from from the beginning you know that was lovely it was novel at the start when we were working in our various jobs in the city because we got to be at home uh, but then you 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 quickly sort of start to get cabin fever because you're just at home all the time and there were some days where you just didn't leave the house and i've i've always wanted to have a place for my business up on harrow hill because it's just beautiful up here you know it's prestigious it's just a lovely area I think that that prestige relates to the image of our brand and our, and our business. Mm-hmm. So we're able to kind of manage that work-life balance by having that separation, which is the first thing. The other thing is we, you know, obviously our, our business is us. You know, we are our business. We, mm. we are part of the brand. So it's, it's almost impossible to separate it completely. But um, because we set the business up together, it means the same thing for us both. Now, Rosh and I are like yin-yang, you know, that there are things that I love mm-hmm. that she hates to do and vice versa. There are things that she loves to do, which I hate to do. So it works perfectly. And obviously there's some things, there's a bit of an overlap in the middle. And that overlap in the middle uh, on some days can reinforce those areas. Okay. And uh, on other days it can cause some attrition. But then that's marriage, that's mm. life, <laughs> that's relationship. And as with, with, any, with any marriage, you know, you, you will have uh, difficult days uh, and you've got to take the good with the bad. There's no, there's no light without dark. So you have to learn to just deal with it and move on quickly, you know, um, find a solution. And it really just comes down to, you know, usually in that situation when there's any kind of attrition, which thankfully does not happen that often. It can happen, it can happen on shoot sometimes on the, on the um, stress and pressure but you know we just learn to let that go through us and you just move on quickly because you know there's no room for that kind of stress on the day rosh is very methodical and, and pragmatic so she just wants to get things done in a really logical way which allows me to be creative so she gets irritated if i sort of start to tread on her toes a little bit and start to get involved in the organizational <laughs> stuff because really that she's just better at it than me and, and and this is the thing when you have that overlap and it's the the attrition element one person needs to realize that one person is more right than the other one. You know, and I think that's important. It's mm-hmm. not about who's wrong. It's about who's more right. When you realize that, you just learn to let it go and move on. And that's in business. That's in life, quite frankly. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a great mix. Because you know, I, I, I recognize, I think a lot of people would recognize that 
many marriages just wouldn't work if husband and wife were working together and living together and they're married together and yeah but if you two have yeah. found your way of doing that then then that's awesome that really is things we share a dream yeah it does you know it's 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 a dream that we created um we, we've always been of the mindset that we didn't want to be employees for people for the rest of our lives which is why that's one reason we quit a job you know we just quit one of the things i often see with photographers when they transition from their employed work to being self-employed photographers is that it starts off being a bit of a side hustle yeah and they really enjoy it but their main sort of everyday thing is is still their is still their job and even if they go one day a week doing their photography then then their foot is still firmly in their employment camp and their side hustle is still a side hustle but then every photographer gets to that stage where suddenly their photography becomes the dominant force in their employed work it's stronger than yeah. their employed work and 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 when that happens it's almost like it's a rapid decline from their employed work to, and, and a rapid build-up in their photography because all of a sudden they've got this huge fire in their belly and then the more they feed that the bigger their business grows the more they lose interest in their previous work and the quicker they can they're able to grow their new business we see that a lot but we also see that there are some really very good photographers um who still have a full-time job and photography still their side hustle it tends to be a missed opportunity for them um certainly financially because the photography isn't their primary thing they tend to undercharge and the, and their work is better than that you know the, their work can actually demand a much larger fee but either they have a fear of raising their fee and losing their clientele which that's another conversation or they just feel that okay this this earns me enough that I can pay my credit card bills every month, which is the wrong attitude. If you're good at something, you need to also understand the value of it because not only are you undervaluing the industry, but more than that, you're undervaluing yourself and you're going to end up being overworked and then you'll fall out of love with it, which is, I think, what happens to a lot of full-time photographers that don't charge enough. So what would you say then to someone who wants to raise their prices, but they are scared of losing their existing clients? First of all, just do it. And, and the, the reasoning behind that is the whole point of raising your prices is to let go of those clients. Mm. Those, those clients who aren't willing to pay top dollar for your skills mm -hmm. and your creativity mm. and that unique vision, mm -hmm. they don't see the value in it, which is why they're only willing to pay that fee. I'm not saying that those clients will go away. They will. You're just not catering for them anymore. So by upgrading... You know, a lot of people, they go through education, they go to training, they go to workshops, they become better photographers. For what? Why, why waste your time and money doing that if you're not then going to reap the rewards financially? Right? You may as well just carry on doing what you're doing. Of course, you have to improve as a photographer. But then along with that, you, you charge more because you're a better photographer. You're a better artist. You're better at what you do. You're a better professional. So why aren't you rewarding yourself with that? Hmm. Because there are clients who will pay the, the bigger fee. That's the point. They are out there. Even now in the pandemic, they're out there. So if you upgrade your skills, upgrade your clients with it. So what would you say to, a, to one of your clients if they, if they asked you for a discount on the price that you're charging them for their wedding photography? Well, look, you know, everything we do has margins. 
So mm-hmm. everything that we buy has margins. Every service that we've had to in, you know, invest in, every product, commodity, whatever it is, has a margin to it. Mm. So I think so long as you engineer that into your strategy, you, you have movement to be able to deliver that. And you know, there, there are other things along the way in deliverables as well. There's always margins in what they cost you mm-hmm. as a supplier. I'm not saying use that margin to give a massive discount because then you've got no profit. You know, you have to still engineer profit into it. What I'm saying is there's always movement along the way. So, you know, we, we pride ourselves on being very consistent, um, consistent in our approach and our imagery in who we are and what we do and what we say uh, and consistent in our pricing. So, you know, uh, we're fair with all of our clients and one client isn't getting a better deal than the other. We're, we're very transparent with the way that works um, with all of our clients and they can see it. Um, because I think, you know, I believe that consistency equates to trust. And if you're, if you start to show inconsistency well, people, they'll question that trust in you. It's like, it's like going to your favorite restaurant. You go there because they're consistent and it's consistently good. But the moment they start to waver a little bit, you start to lose a little bit of faith in them. If that continues, you lose trust and you just don't want to go there anymore. Yeah. So, you know, consistency equates to trust all the way. I remember one of the things that Martin Oliver told me, he's um, uh, a family photographer in London. He told me that he factors into his pricing structure uh, a £50 budget to send the the mother of the family that he's been photographing. He sends after the shoot's been done, after the prints have been delivered and the album's been made up and everything else, he'll send across to the mother £50 worth of flowers in the post. Uh, and it right. just completely wows her, but he's already factored that yeah. in to the pricing in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, when you when you work out your your business model, you kind of have to you have to work backwards, you know, and you have to start with right. What's my business costing me to run? Um, what is my life costing to run? And how much do I need to earn to um, to survive? And then add a buffer to that so that you can have enough for a rainy day, like we have right now. Yeah. Very long rainy day um and then then add the profit on that so you've got to then just decide how much do i want to earn and then you charge accordingly um and so you know what income you need to make throughout the year um and then you decide how many weddings you want to shoot i don't want to shoot 40 50 weddings you know i I don't want to kill myself doing that um i'd rather shoot less um be fresher creatively not fall out of love with it because it's becoming a chore that i have to you know shoot back-to-back weddings um over an entire weekend for every weekend over the year i mean that would just destroy me um i destroy anybody it's also unfair on the clients the following day if you're just completely drained Mm. from the previous day so you know we we try and avoid the back to backs unless it's the same client and they've got multiple events which is quite common that's a slightly different situation you know we we we've then just decided look this is our target for the year and we want 15 to 20 weddings maximum and therefore this is what we'll charge let's add a, a percentage for buffer to you know for negotiation and um that's always worked for us this is awesome sanjay this is great um something non photography related now and actually just for a bit of fun Tell us three things that you're into right now and one thing that you want to throw into the world of never seeing again. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably multiple things for never, never wanted to see again. Um, three things I'm into. Okay, so I mentioned um, cars, architecture and photography mm-hmm. uh, already. I Yeah, a big car nut. 
Um, I love cars, love car design, and almost went into car design as well. What are you driving at the moment then? I had a bit of a change last year, actually. So you remember my M5 that I had? I do, yeah. Well, I still have it, actually. And I'm hanging on to it for the time being because um, it's, a, it's a potentially a future classic and it has doesn't have turbos and it's a V10. But we, we got an X5M because I needed more load space. And I used to have a Mark IV Supra for about 12 or 13, maybe 14 years. And I, I, yeah, it was getting a bit long in the tooth and it was getting a little bit of, it needed a little, little bit of TLC. It was just a bit abused over the years. Um, so we, we sold that and we bought a little MX-5 Roadster. So oh, yeah. So nice sunny days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just something to chuck about and have a bit of fun with. And it's a bit of a project that I sort of tweak and modify and do some bits and pieces to myself, which is quite nice because it's a very simple car. So, yeah, cars is one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an audiophile. I love music and I love good sound. Okay. So, yeah, over the years, I've my, my lounge is my man cave. And I have a rather nice, I would say it's my dream sound system in there, actually. Okay. It's, um, yeah, I can, I can just sit there and get lost in, in sound. Kill the lights, close the blinds, draw the curtains, um, turn the volume up and just literally drown in audio absolutely love it and what would you listen to or what um, do you listen to on that you know my taste in music is quite eclectic actually it's a real it's a, it depends on what i'm what i'm what mood i'm in so i have a brother who's 11 years older than me and a sister is two years older than me so growing up i was listening to what they were listening to so you know as a kid my brother would listen to all sorts of stuff you know what whatever was kind of popular in the early 80s um you know electric pop uk pop and uh you know things like i'll give you an example so is anything from let's say led zeppelin to pink floyd to rap through the 80s to modern rap and hip-hop now uh r&b classical music indian classical music i love jazz and various things in between as well you know so uh in that sense i'm quite experimental i'm not a fan of things like you know the really heavy hardcore rock and metal and death metal and all that kind of stuff that that gives me an absolute headache but melodious um stuff um so yeah you know uh it's 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 really very if you listen to my playlist it's very or my playlists it's uh yeah it really really varies if i'm feeling particularly energetic uh and i'm doing stuff around the house i can just crank it up and the cupboards in my kitchen will vibrate and then (laughs) you know i can just do whatever i'm doing around the house if i just want to chill you know i might put on Nora Jones or something like that and it, she feels like it feels like she's in the room you know that's how I've set the system up it's absolutely amazing you know some days I just want to listen to some very old familiar stuff you know right now we could all do with a bit of familiar the other day I was listening to Dire Straits the Brothers in Arms oh, um, yeah. album which is just one of the best albums ever made there are a couple of tunes on there which just fill the room and it's just it's it feels it like warm flowing water that's how it feels which um, ones are you thinking of i know the album well you see <laughs> um brothers in arms because it's has a lot of meaning what's the other one so right across the river great song okay so why worry why worry oh, yeah. right across the river man's too strong man's too strong um, yeah. those tracks you know i think why worry particularly right now if if, if anyone's feeling anxiety mm-hmm. and just feeling down with the situation we're in go on to spotify i mean if you can get a better quality version of the sound you know i don't recommend spotify if you're a if you're an audiophile it's not good enough just to add to the, the how audiophile i am i i listen to that on a sacd on a super audio cd oh, no way uh, which is <laughs> there's such a if if you're tuned into sound quality you'll tell the difference between that and, and a regular 
CD and sort of lossless audio sits somewhere in between. But go on Spotify. If you've got a good sound system or iTunes uh, or whatever you've got, why worry? Put it on nice and loud. Sit on your couch in front of both speakers. Kill the lights. Close your eyes and just soak it up and listen to the lyrics. It's, it's a beautiful song. Such a good album, it really is. Mm. The other thing I was listening to the other day, I kind of rediscovered after ages, was Terence Trent Darby's first album, The Hard Line According To. I was playing that about two weeks ago. It's such an amazing album. It really is. I, I mean, I grew up with that, and I forgot how good it was. Like, mm. there, there isn't a bad track on that album. Did you know that he changed his name? And do you know why he changed his name? No, did he? Go on. He changed his name because after his 80s success... He didn't like his kind of, you know, the decline in his popularity. And he was kind of so self-ashamed of it that he kind of wanted to get rid of his old self. So he literally changed his name. Interesting. And what did he call himself? I can't remember now because <laughs> we all still call him Terence Trent Darby. Because I, I know he sort of um, adopted TTD after a while because it was easier to say than Terence Trent Darby. Mm. And then, yeah, then it became something else, a bit like Prince afterwards, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So was that, was that two? We, we said uh, Cars Music. Cars and, and Music. Yeah. Something else. Of, right now, I'm, I'm back into my fitness. So I really enjoy, you know, uh, the, the healthy living. Um, I think right now we could all do with some of that and just making sure that we're strong. And mm. yeah, back into my running. I used to run marathons um, years and years and years ago, getting back into strength training. So I've been doing that for a little over a year, just sort of preparing myself for when our world opens up and we have to carry all this equipment around for 10, 12, <laughs> 15 hours, whatever it is. And something you want to throw into the world of never seeing again? I'm not going to say the obvious thing of COVID because I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, why well, I've just said it. Um, <laughs> that's an obvious thing. <laughs> What I don't want to see in the world again. Oh, God. Various things. Um, don't want to get political and say Donald Trump. But <laughs> I've said that one. I don't want to see selective spot colouring in photography ever again. Please. <laughs> do people still do that? They can't still do that. Yeah, people still do that. Really? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah pe- people still do that. It's, um, it had its time. Mm. It's, it's not a timeless technique. I think people who aren't really into photography, when they see an image like that, they're like, oh, that's clever. You know, the red, run, the red London bus on a black and white image. <laughs> yeah. Look, it was fun for about five minutes. It lasted for 20 years. Just Let's stick to either understanding colour and making colour images look wonderful and using colour as, as, a, as a great mechanism for storytelling or timeless black and whites that, you know, um, evoke emotion. You, you know, black and white image, you look at it and... You want to understand what the feeling is, you know, what, what's the emotion, what's the story behind that? It, it takes you beyond what people are wearing. Yeah. Sanjay, we need to wrap this up in a moment, but where can people go online if they want to find out more about you and Roshni? So we're all over social media. Uh, we have a website. So our website is ijogia.com. That's E-Y-E. So I. E-Y-E Jogia. Okay. That's J-O-G-I-A. That's it. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, our Instagram is at iJogia. Okay, straightforward. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash iJogia. My personal one is forward slash Sanjay Jogia. Okay. Uh, Roshni is forward slash Roshni Jogia. This is awesome. And I'm also Twitter, uh, which is at Sanjay Jogia. Okay. Which is your preferred platform out of all of those? Um, Instagram and Facebook. So, Generally, personal day-to-day stuff, you know, which is more about my personality and, you know, what I think and what I'm feeling and what I'm doing is uh, my, my, my personal profile on Facebook. But the Facebook pages have been a bit neglected 
over the last few years only because Facebook couldn't make up their mind about what that's supposed to be. And they've gone and changed it again now. Mm. Um, and so now we have to kind of rediscover what the hell that means or what it, you know, how it works. It sort of piggybacks off our Instagram. So we, we tend to post most of our professional stuff on, on uh, Instagram at iJogia. And our, and our Facebook page tends to mirror those posts at the moment until it settles down and then we'll start to kind of put a bit more focus back on that. So personal stuff is my personal Facebook as is Roshni's and um, photography related stuff is our Instagram and you'll see kind of you know stories and our reels and um, maybe the old IGTV and you know the regular posts that sort of thing. Sanjay this has been awesome there's so much that I'd love to carry on unpacking with you I'd love to have spoken about destination weddings but we're running out of time here I'd love to talk about your marketing and some of the weddings that you've shot and and the iJogia brand as well because that's a strong brand in the marketplace but in the meantime i just wanted to say thank you for everything you shared here it's been such good stuff no, it's, it's been pleasure. so good having Thanks you for on having the show me. perhaps we can do another podcast another time yeah no, i'd love that i really would let's give it a few months six months something like that be great to get you back on the show and unpack all of those other things that that i've got written down here to ask you but uh, we'll just have to come to them another time. That'd be awesome. Sounds good to me. Thanks, Sanjay. Thanks very much. Thanks, Sai. There we go. Sanjay, thank you for coming onto the show. And a big shout out to Roshni, because I know she'll be listening to this too. Just a reminder, you can find them online by searching iJogia. That's E-Y-E and then Jogia, J-O-G-I-A. That's their surname. Or we'll be pointing you in the right direction if you follow us on Instagram, which is 9to5photo. That's number nine and number five. 9 to 5 photo. If you go there, you'll see Sanjay himself too in a very cool photo. Now, if you're not following or subscribing to this podcast channel yet, then what are you doing? Because our next episode, well, I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, but it is one of the nicest photographers in the industry. That's the fact. It's not an opinion. I've made a decision on that. This person has a super fresh outlook on how photographers could and should all be working much better together. It's such a refreshing outlook on the whole industry. It really is. But of course, if you haven't subscribed, then when that comes out, you won't even know. So click on that button to follow or subscribe, depending on which platform you're using to listen to this. And then you'll get a small notification when that next episode is ready. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.